Everyman Podcast. Oh, yeah. There it is. Oh, yeah. Another week, another pod. Big dog, Daryl Campbell. How are you, my bro? Man, blessed, highly favored, having fun with my bro. Check, 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 check. Check. We're here. It's the summer of the Everyman 2021, and we got another awesome interview on deck this week. And I'll tell you what, bro. This week, we have the super talented bassist, Mm -hmm. uh, songwriter, film my film advisor, film enthusiast, veganist, film expert. Is veganist a word? It is now. It uh, is now. The one and only <laughs> Dan Briggs, bassist yeah. for the Grammy nominated Between the Buried and Me. And this completes the circle of Between the Buried and Me guests uh, on this journey that we've that we've been on here. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're the first podcast to have every member of Between the Buried and Me on the show at one point or another. That's got to count for something, brother. It's like Ace Ventura. Collect the whole set. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's a lot of fun on this interview. And if you're checking us out for the first time, you know, welcome to the Everyman Podcast. Welcome to the Cosmic Canoe. Uh, you know, grab a paddle, put your life vest on, and chill with us for a little bit here. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got you know interviews with Dusty Waring, Blake Richardson, Tommy Rogers, Paul. Come on, everybody. Yes. Uh, Jamie King has even yes. been on the podcast, the producer extraordinaire. Um, Matt Halpern, Mark Holcomb, mm-hmm. you know, John Petrucci, Mike Mangini, James Labrie, yep. Chance, Falset, you know, some some really awesome musicians in the progressive metal world. So if you're here for the first time, uh, you know, definitely check some of those interviews out. Check us out on YouTube. Uh, the link will be in the show notes here to check out the video version of this podcast. And uh, we get into... Everything that's going on with Between the Bear to Me, going back on the road, what it was like writing the new record, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler alert, there's some breaking news about the record. You might want to tune in, check it out, hang for the whole thing. <laughs> there's a lot going on, not to mention his various products, uh, projects that are going on right now, you know, Disorder Assembly, Triosscapes, Orbs, um, Nightmare Scenario. It's just, the guy is, a, he's literally a creative genius, uh, incredibly talented bassist, and songwriter and um, just a lot of movie fun. buff, huge movie buff. We so just clicked on our love for Nicolas Cage, mm-hmm. um, and, and we really, uh, really had had a lot of fun here. And uh, I'll tell you what, Daryl, there's no two ways about it. We got to just jump right into this podcast. Just jump in there, let's just go. Let's get let's it. Do it. Do it. Joining us today on the Everyman Podcast is a multi-talented, multi-instrumentalist. Grammy-nominated bassist extraordinaire. You might know him from Nightmare Scenario. You might know him from Triosscapes. You might know him from his newest group, Disorder Assembly. But uh, as you can see here, we love him and know him from Between the Barrier to Me. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Briggs. Dan, what's up, brother? Hey, hey. Glad to be here. Hey, man. Thank you for, uh, thank you for joining us. We were chatting before we got going here. Uh, I think the Everyman Podcast is now the first podcast to have every member of between the buried and me grace us with their presence so this is uh this is cool to uh, finally get you get you on board here and um obviously man like i was saying before we're big fans of between the buried and me uh big fans of yours um but you know first question we always ask man what's up where are you what are you doing yeah i'm at home uh i've i've been running around so much lately my days you know as of a couple weeks ago kind of 
transitioned from just whatever the last year has been, which for me is kind of uh, just constantly working. And once once you get wrapped on one project, you kind of take a breath and then just start on another. And um, when once it got to the point where it really felt like our tour in August was going to happen with Between the Buried and Me and was like really, really going to happen, which really I only felt in the last month, uh, I started, you know, transitioning my mindset to uh, to get into work mode, you know, like I've been working all year, but to get out of the creative mode and into the learning just a s- massive stack of music. And um, I started, usually I only start prepping like two weeks before a tour um, and just slam it into my brain because uh, I have so much going on in there. And um, I decided to really pace it since we're doing so much music and I have a show on Sunday in a couple, well, a couple of days from, from now, I guess by the time this airs, we'll have already played, but with my new group disorder assembly. Um, so I kind of had that in the forefront of my brain starting to like piece up between the barrier to me stuff, but it's nice. Cause yeah, my days lately have just been kind of like ease into the day, ease into the office, spend some hours playing, uh, but not so much that I'm just, you know, destroying myself and going crazy and then getting out of it. And it's been a good routine, actually, to to ease back into playing. I would imagine, you know, and let's just back up before we get distracted. This tour that's coming up um, is, you know, something a little bit different for you guys, which is the evening with format, um, which yeah. fans have been, you know, clamoring for. So when you guys originally announced this, it was a big deal because it was like, Dude, I'm gonna see BT Band for like what two at least two hours, just yeah. slamming for two hours, and and that excitement kind of, you know, never went down. And you saw that with the, you know, the Twitch streams when we had Dusty on recently, and we talked about, you know, how great and and how energized your fan base was to see you perform, and that you know as soon as it's ready, you know, it, everybody's yeah. gonna be back. And like, I know, you know, we've been I've been seeing. I mean, the first time I saw BT Bam uh, was at the basement of the First Unitarian Church in like 2006. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen you with Trioscapes at the Barbary in 2012. Yeah. You know, so like I've, I in in this this area really pa- is passionate about your music. You know, uh, for one reason or another. Um, yeah. So there's there's a whole lot of excitement for that, and I'm sure your guys are stressing that. So Daryl, when he's talking about you know, normally, what do you play? An hour and twenty minutes, hour and ten minutes set. Yeah, and we we'd had the idea to do this evening with kind of format of us doing two sets, uh, no support bands, just just us uh, for for years now. Maybe we started talking about it on like the Coma Ecliptic tour cycle, and uh, thought that it would actually happen. You know, maybe on the last record, and then I think as we started inching closer to the. Um, 20th anniversary of the band which was last year uh that that would that would be the thing uh to commemorate um and yeah we went through a a few quite a few different you know um set variations and we did one in europe in well 2019 now I, i feel like it just happened but that was two freaking years ago now and um and it's not that set but um 
you know, that was our first time trying it. And, and, and that was, it was fun. It was good. It was weird. You know, no one else in the venue except us, no one else backstage. Um, and yeah, a long set that, that one was a little shorter, but it, it had an ebb and a flow to it. And I think that we've, I mean, by no means have I played, I haven't learned all the songs yet. I'm, I'm more than halfway through. Um, but there's definitely a, a flow to it, you know? I think that probably surprises people that even the the uh, the master Dan Briggs has to relearn his own music. That's that's oh well, it's just goes you know, to show I, everybody has to practice, right? Yeah, I mean, shit. We we went into the studio to record the new BT Bam uh, last November, and by that point, I'd already recorded the Disorder Assembly record, maybe two months before that, and before you know the the Disorder record came together real quickly. I mean, we'll maybe talk about that in a little bit, but even before then, while we were writing the BT BAM record, I was, I was doing some things of my own, uh, in between because, you know, it's, it's, it's weird to think back now, but early on in the pandemic, I mean, maybe when like April hit, we started sharing some ideas for the new record and, um, and we worked solidly maybe through May apart, and then the summer hit and we just kind of, as it was really seeming like there was no hope for this thing ending and there were no deadlines and everything just stopped and started getting, I think everyone just kind of fell into their own worlds, you know, like not only in the band, I think just everyone. Um, and during that time I started working on stuff for a couple nightmare scenario EPs, uh, one that's being mastered right now and another that um, I'm, I'm finishing putting together. It's more collaborative, that one, which is kind of fun. But so, you know what I mean? So it was like by the time uh, we had gotten off tour and then started writing music, I was putting just so much into my head in between each project. And that's usually what happens in between tours, except it's usually only a month or two months. And, you know, I get home from a tour, I immediately just, bleh, you know, <laughs> dump my brain it's gone i either jump into you know opening up a session i was working on before leaving or i've got something that's burning in my head or someone in another group that sent me something and i'm usually just in that mindset until like i said about two weeks before it's time to go on the next tour and then i just i just hit the pause button or get things wrapped up and then i just 100 percent just shove new new old material back into my head, which is hard. I mean, it, it, it's because it's totally not in my brain. I mean, I couldn't, I wouldn't get very far humming you any of the songs that aren't on <laughs> the, this set list. How do you, how do you, I know you said it's hard, but how, like, how do you turn that off? Because I'm in the production field myself at NFL Films. And when I go from project to project, especially if you have more free reign to do things that are more akin to you, like, how do you just turn that off and then go right into that work? Because it's like, even for me, it's difficult. Like if I'm cutting a highlight for a, a particular team and then I, but I, I just came out of doing a personal project that aired on presents or something like that, that I was just full bore into like that shutdown and refocus and kind of like yeah. pivoting is how, how do you do it? Well, it's one of the hardest things on like a day-to-day -day basis. So um, for me, I used to experience it so much where I'd 
be in it in my office all day. And I think everyone at any job experiences this. And then you find yourself in a social situation and you're disconnected, you're so in your head. And for me, that could just be like, you know, you know, just playing something that I was literally looping for like an hour and a half working on. Um, And, you know, one thing that's been so nice during this time that really helps me transition out and kind of become a human again is like, is like cooking dinner. Like for me, like honestly, a huge thing is like really taking the time, you know, slow cooking beans, you know, building up a meal that takes an hour or, or longer and, you know, put a podcast on. Uh, I've, you know, I live alone. So I've listened to so many podcasts during this pandemic, <laughs> just, just voices going is, has been so nice. Um, when it's, when it's to do with getting ready to go on tour, uh, you know, a lot of times I am lucky to where when I'm working on something, a song or something, um, there's, it's very rare, no matter what project it is that, um, I don't know what state it's in, where it's going to go, what could happen. Uh, maybe that's just, you know, I'm 36 years old. I've been a professional musician for 16 years writing music since I was 13 or 14. You know what I mean? So it's like you've put in the time and, and even yeah. when there is stuff that's super experimental and super out of control and it could go anywhere, I generally have like a start and finish, you know, and, and kind of have an idea pretty early in the workings, you know, within a week or two of working on a song. So usually I'm able to wrap things up and if not, they come to a comfortable close. Gotcha. And, uh, it can be hard, but yeah, going into this one, I feel very good because I, if this tour didn't happen, if if the pandemic kept it from happening in August, we would have we wouldn't have done it this year. It would have happened next year. And if I just had the rest of the year at home, I mean, I I don't think I could work. You know, just just like literally, I don't think it would be healthy to like just keep in this mindset and just drilling and drilling and drilling. And, um, yeah, you know, it's time to get out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I can, I can totally relate to what you said about cooking. Um, I, I talk about on this podcast all the time. I'm a big barbecue guy. I, you know, I've got a sweet ass smoker and a, you know, griddle and I like to, I like to cook. And I find that like after, like you're saying, you know, after work, it helps me, you know, become a human I, I totally can relate to that like because you're having to carefully handle ingredients and you're yeah. it's almost like even if you don't want to like I don't want to do this but you're going to do it and you're going to do it the right way if you're into it and yeah having to be delicate and handle and it sounds weird but like handle fruits and vegetables or whatever you're cooking yeah. um it like softens you up and gets you back into a normal like okay I can interact with my fiance like a normal person because I'm out of the high pressure insanity that I was in all day. It's so true. And I I feel like my day is like sprinkled with these activities that are, that are bits of, you know, mindfulness and trying to, uh, not, not necessarily block things out kind of, but, but to stay in what, what you're doing. And so when I get to that point of the day, like we're talking about, it's, you know, like you're saying, staying focused on that activity really, really helps you, you know? 
really kind of lock in and, and, and just drive that, that task home, which is so nice. Right. And it helps transition you from like, I need to be structured because there's a, a sequence of events with cooking. And yeah. then you can also be artistic by like how you, you know, I don't, you know, you get to a certain point, you stop measuring things, you know, you know what, <laughs> based on time, you know what I mean? Like it's the, yeah, it's yeah. the finer details of it. And I never thought about it till now about that, that process and how it's uh, kind of therapeutic. It is. It, it really is. Yeah. That's awesome. So we're talking about between the Barry to me, you know, I, I saw that obviously by the time this comes out, uh, you guys released a new single. The tour is coming. Um, fans are kind of on. I know people are excited, but I know a lot of people are. I don't know. I'm gonna say confused or unsure. Do you know, or, or can you, or are you? Is it just gonna be like a full blown concert, like normal? Like we're back, we're good, we're here to go. Temperature checks. Yeah. Like what? What are? Yeah, no, what can people um, expect, or 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 is that not? Uh, not you nice. mean as far as like capacity sort of? Yeah, like how's it all going to work? Restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think because, you know, the guarantees and everything for the tour were obviously worked out before the pandemic. So the, the thing wouldn't have happened if, if, if it couldn't have happened uh, at 100 capacity. And um, that's, that's why we're able to move forward with it like we are now. That makes uh, sense. Which is so nice. I mean, I just went out last week for the first time to see a friend play. Um, you know, I don't think anyone was really masked, you know, indoors, small little, you know, small little like kind of jazz club setting. And, uh, you know, it was it was relaxed. You know, it's it's one of those things, you know, I've I've been able to get myself in the mindset because I was really shut off for the last year and it was just me in my house and two of my close friends in town. Um, and we were kind of our small group that we would be around, um, each other, uh, unmasked. Um, and so even after getting, you know, my vaccines, uh, in, you know, April or whatever, you know, it was still like tiptoeing around. And I think I finally got in the mindset recently where I was like, shit, if I'm going to be in a room with 500 to 1,000 people here, you know, in a month, which, you know, my heart's beating a little little fast thinking about it, but uh, but I'm like, you know, I think I can, I think I can go out and eat. I think I can go see my friend play. You know what I mean? Uh, they're telling us it's all right, you know? So, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think there's still going to be a comfortableness in, in August with, with where, where different people are at. But, uh, yeah, everything's going to be uh, full on. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I, you know, I, and this is kind of what Daryl and I said all along is we were talking about around Thanksgiving time. You know, everybody should do what they're comfortable doing. And, you know, if, if you want to wear a mask at a concert, do it. You know, why not? Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen way weirder shit at metal shows. I saw a kid reading a, a, a full on spell book, a Dungeons and Dragons spell book <laughs> on the floor of the TLA at a Dragon Force concert. Okay. Yeah, that's just a good use of time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Guy was smart. Uh, so I've seen a lot at shows. So, you know, I think it's one of those things where, you know, diehards are going to be there no matter what. And, and I think it's going to be a great environment. And, and BT BAM has always had, you know, a really uh, excellent group of fans wherever they kind of 
wherever I've seen them. You know, there's been there's yeah. a couple of assholes everywhere. You know, but that's just uh, that's just life. We were. I know we were kind of. I mean, obviously, everyone kind of was hoping that someone would be the first band to go out and kind of figure it out. And uh, it kind of seems like we're one of the first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, a lot of the clubs <laughs> we're going were, were the first gig back, uh, especially that first week. So, you know, it's not only a big thing for the band, uh, the people coming to this show, but the stabs. Um, oh, yeah. it's, it's all going to be kind of you know, tiptoeing and, and easing back in. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel comfortable that it's, it's, it's going to happen. All right. So I think so. I think so. We'll be I'm there. Excited. I'm excited. <laughs> and you will I'm not just excited. You, the world is getting normal, man, because let me tell you, you being locked up for over a year and a half at work. I got my first fist bump today at work and it was just oh, like, it's the most awesome thing ever. So like I can I can yeah. totally understand. You got that tiptoe hesitation that like kind of ease in. You like one of these, and then yeah, full boom. You're just like ah, yeah, yes. you know. Yeah, I got to uh, I got to see some friends the other day that um, uh, are in disorder assembly with me, and it was the first time I felt like I got to like hug. You know, some of these guys I made this record <laughs> with, and uh, hug and- life is real. August, yeah, it was really nice. So, yeah, that's yeah, great. That's really man. good. That's great. So you're getting ready, you're practicing, you're rehearsing. It's going to be yeah. two sets. I'm sure it's going to be some fan favorites on there. And uh, like I said, I've been a uh, longtime fan and and longtime friend of, of Dusty's and, and Blake's, and uh, it's been amazing to see you guys. Like I said, you know, Grammy nominated between the Bear to me, like the 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 length of your journey and you're just like still putting out, you know, amazing record after amazing record and no hints of stopping or slowing. So it's, it's really great to see you guys be one of the first to, to get back out there and, and do it. Yeah. It'll it'll be really nice. Uh, uh, you know, playing, playing an older record, a record that, you know, kind of, it's an interesting one for us. I mean, um, thinking back on, on that time. And I actually haven't too much. I think it'll probably hit me when I start to relearn swim to the moon, which we haven't played in over a decade. Um, I remember the last time we played it, it was in, uh, Bangkok, um, in 2010, we did this just insane world tour that, you know, it broke us, but we were young enough that it was okay (laughs) to break us. Um, I think that there were relationships that ended on it. There was just, you know, we were, broke by the time we got you know but but we we did this whole thing for like three months and we were just like shell-shocked like what the hell and the whole rest of the year was so busy that it it, you know it was at that point in our career back then in in 2010 where it it helped us kind of learn that you know we could say no to some things you know that we could structure a little bit better uh you know we were starting to get just in you know kind of the next phase of kind of being adults you know if i was 26 25 you know what i mean so like you're just just getting over the hump you know paul and tommy were probably just just in their 30s and um i think right after that or right before that you know we'd gotten our first manager um that was our last record on victory records like he knew Tony at Victory knew that we were starting to work with the manager and that it was our last album and that they were probably going to be gunning for him. And so he, uh, 
he didn't really put a lot of promo into the record and and the fact that it got the feet that it did is is pretty amazing and just a testament to I mean, we, we did tour a, a ton on that record, but I think to, to people either passing it around, you know, word of mouth or whatever, but, you know, it, it's had its legs and it's lived on. And so it's it's fun to look back and uh, and celebrate it for what it is. It's amazing. And I'll, and I'll just say, and, and you don't have to comment on it if you don't want to, but I, it's been a clear difference uh, as soon as you guys hooked up with Sumerian, like how much I saw the you know a bt bam something elsewhere other than your social feeds you know um oh, it, yeah. was, it was very clear that they like it was like you guys were getting the the support you deserve and had earned you know again from yeah, we... from being on the road and, and doing all this stuff and it's cool to see you guys really you know killing it yeah. basically for us you know get getting with metal blade after victory was such a uh of like relief and breath of fresh air um because they, they seemed to really care about the thing that was between the buried and me and what we were doing. And it was so nice. It was just, it was just a short deal that we signed with them. Um, and then, so getting into the next phase after, uh, coma ecliptic, you know, we're in the, now I guess we're in our the second record with Sumerian. And so, yeah, it's, it's all been, it's all been kind of good after, you know, after the great misdirect, you know, for us kind of, uh, label wise, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, it's a funny landmark for that, but you know, it's revisiting some of the music now and most of it, I mean, we played all of it, uh, except swim to the moon, you know, and I guess that sort of song really, um, quite a bit over the last 10 years, you know, those songs come in and out quite a lot. Um, and it's, I remember like, as far as the session went, you know, which is interesting to think back on now, I just remember we, we had a couple get to get, you know, three or four week long get togethers and that we had the most of the record put together outside of maybe swim to the moon. It's only five songs. I mean, it's like our, you know, close to the edge or, or something like that. You know what I mean? And, uh, we just knew that it was going to pack a punch. Is it five or six? Maybe it's six. But um, we knew it was going to pack a punch and that they were long guys, but uh, I can I can feel, you know, the maturity from Colors and then obviously like a step after that with Parallax 2 that was another maturing process and Coma and Automata. It's, it's, it's fun, like, to be able to get back into that world, learning the music, digging through the books and stuff, kind of try to place where you were and then where you are now and be like, whoa, you know? Like there's been a jump, you know, and, and each one along the way is, is, is a jump from where you were, which is cool to see. I think it's a, it's, it's a natural, normal progression though. You know, that that when you, when you follow, like it's, it's not too much of a shock to your system to go two or three albums back. Like you're like, okay, I see where they were, they were headed here. And it's funny you brought up close to the edge and Daryl, you know, you got to indulge me here for a moment. I'm, I'm about to be a nerd. Um, you should be. So I'm right there with you. I go for it. <laughs> the first band that I was, you know, exposed to that I like fell in love with was Yes. My dad uh-huh. was my dad's favorite band growing up, and you know we, I, I had a chance to see them. I don't know five or six times when they were still like towards the end, you know, with um, still with 
John Anderson and Rick Wakeman, like that 35th anniversary tour and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's ironically how I was exposed to Dream Theater was Dream Theater opening for them. Um, oh, yeah. But I always heard, you know, little elements of of that music in BT Bam, and I wasn't quite oh, yeah. sure where it was coming from. And then I come to find out, you know, you know, everybody kind of casually, but then when I was listening to your newer records, especially Disorder, it's like, oh, wait, it's Dan. Like, Dan's <laughs> Dan's the huge Yes fan in the band. Um, yeah, and, and they're one of those bands that, like, if you go and listen to them now with, like, modern ears, you're like, oh, they, they like, did all this oh, yeah. 45 years ago. Like, it's all, like, we're all just oh, repeating yeah. what oh. they did. 100%. Like, yes. every prog or band now. On, on Close to the Edge, Fragile, and and I think Drama. I mean, Drama. Or, drama, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, that's got some of the, like, real deal, like, progressive metal kind of stuff to it. Um, Machine Messiah. I was just going to say, like, Machine Messiah that's an heavy as shit. Unreal song. Yeah. Unreal. Like, that's such a good, yeah. Um, yeah, and... Uh, and Steve Howe is such a... Daryl, I'm going to send you some Steve Howe stuff. Like, if he was, if he was like, 25 now and had a TikTok, he would be everyone's favorite guitar player. Yeah, he was a master. I mean, on the nylon string and electric, you know, him and uh, him and Steve Hackett kind of had that thing oh, both yeah. working for them, and 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 both had interesting kind of like choppy styles. I mean, they weren't the well, most. They grew up that like, like folky folk yeah, style. That's and then they, they you know they weren't the most fluid, you know, beautifully clean, you know, but but that it had like a, so much personality. Yeah, there are. Very um, they're you know it's it's one of those bands you, you like i said you listen to them and then you follow down the line to rush and bands like dream theater and then bt bam and then i was listening to i don't know something on uh sirius xm and uh hawken came on and i it was like new new stuff and i was like oh this sounds like uh yep yeah, okay it's and it's just this you know it's this ongoing it's like the west coast offense daryl it's never gonna go away it's gonna keep getting better <laughs> yeah Everybody's gonna throw their their uh their stone in, cast their stone in for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sticking with disorder assembly, um, a lot of that, and this is a compliment, and coming from uh, me as a you know musician mind, a lot of that sounds so natural and in the moment, like it's almost yeah. like it's it's improv or structured improv. Um, how much of that was, you know, improv? Or how much of that is it was like this is what I'm going in to do. Yeah, almost none of it existed like the week or two before we did it. The idea to do it came together very quickly. Um, Walter, who plays sax and, and keyboards in the band, was also in Triosscapes with me. Um, he had pretty much put together the first track, Spirit of the Dinosaurs, with with some of the guys. Great names, and too. really, you know, uh, that song especially um, has a couple a couple written musical cues um, and then it's, you know, different tones of, of, um, you know, kind of improv stuff around it. And then one of those cues will come in and the band's in unison. And then it kind of goes back out uh, into a different, you know, a different feel that was kind of like the general idea of was discussed before um, but what's on record, you know, is 
you know, like that first song that was Spirit of the Dinosaur is what we started with. And we maybe did three or so takes. And, you know, the first one was the first time that we all played it together. You know, there was no rehearsal. It was just in the studio. And um, wow. and it's so nice. cool to listen to um, because when we got it all mixed and you could, everyone kind of had their place in the mix out of the eight of us. The mix is um, awesome, by the way. Yeah. Oh, he, Chris killed it. Yeah. It, um, yeah. One of the big things that we had to figure out with the mix, because it's two drum sets, organ, all this is, um, is that the bigness was just going to come from eight people. You know, he didn't have to mix the drums like big rock drums or have the bass be big and boomy, you know, loud, distorted, wild. It was just like, let's just hear everything. And it's just going to be massive that way. Um, and yeah, you know, there wasn't, on the whole record, there's maybe like six or seven, you know, charted riffs or whatever. You know, the last song, you know, I had a stack of horn parts uh, that were generated around, you know, with the organist playing. And, you know, that was maybe the only thing that was on paper that we had to like pass around and kind of like look at and talk through before going at it. So yeah, for me, for a lot of those guys, what's fun is everyone's got different playing backgrounds. You know, there's guys that are in jazz, uh, kind of more like, you know, Afrofusion stuff, um, kind of gospel, gospel stuff. Um, all over the place, but it was, you know, a lot coming from this world of free improvised music. And of course me coming from something different, but I tiptoed in that before with Trioscapes and, um, and was at a place where that was something that I really needed was to have something that was off the page. That was more about, queuing in the room and all the sounds and playing off of people, not overplaying. Very interesting, very interesting, very different. And uh, I love it. And I'm very curious to see what it's like playing live this week. It'll, it'll be the, you know, technically we only played together two days. So, yeah. Yeah. I can't, I, I mean, I was telling you before we got on, I, I really love that record and I was listening to it in my car today. And then when I got home, I put it on through my, PC with my really good monitors, my interface, yeah. and the high res on on Spotify. And I was like, oh, there's a lot, there's a lot going. This shit, this is rich. This is, yeah. uh, and you know what? I was also thinking, you know, and again, this is in my mind, it's a compliment. Is you know, you throw a little marimba in there, and this is like Frank Zappa. Like, there's some, there's, no, there's some like real Zappa. And again, not saying this because you're sitting here with us. There's some like Zappa level genius going on there that I can't quite put my finger on, but it's like really draws me into the record and the way that it's mixed. It's like you're in this world where all this is going on around you. And it's like, just like I was, th cause then I, I looked up, I had to look up the instrumentation. Cause I'm like, how many, right. cause I'm listening to it. I'm like, and then I started to put it all together. I was like, Oh, this must've been done live. Cause you know, like I thought it was just maybe a couple guys and it, dude, it's uh it's wild. Yeah. Eight guys, four horns, there's four horns, two drums, uh, bass, an organ. One of the horn players, Walter, is playing synthesizer. Uh, Sam, organist, was also playing some synth. Um, the alto sax player, Casey, 
also plays what's called an iwi, which is an electronic woodwind instrument. Oh. Uh, made famous in the 80s by the sax player Michael Brecker and a lot of guys. Um, but he... So he's I mean, like running he into it, like MIDI? You can run it in as like a MIDI instrument? You can, yep. And it's got its own sound banks built in and stuff. I mean, it's honestly like a synthesizer that he can control with his, you know, his embouchure like he would his horn. And the fingerings are just what he knows on horn. They correlate with, you know, the alto. Um, the tuba player also was doing just, just a myriad of weird sounds, electronics. <laughs> and then uh, Jared is the tuba tuba guy. And then Eli, Eli Frybush was doing, uh, he, he played three different sacks on the record. He did some soprano on Lizards of Boz, which is such a cool, I love like, that name ethereal sound and then he did some tenor and some baritone and uh yeah it was like incredible amount of space that he covered um yeah it was, it was really 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 great um speaking of tuba you ever hear of a guy yeah. named wolf just wolf no <laughs> okay so so a couple of years ago I, I saw buckethead who again uh, talk about a genius right yeah uh, that dude's awesome and also multi-talented. And uh, he had this guy, Wolf, opening for him. I think it was like W-O-L-F-F-E. Big, hmm. burly guy with a tuba and a pedal board. And he had like a loop station and all these effects pedals. And he would like make a noise into the horn of the, of the tuba and then like use a microphone to record the loop. And yeah, then yeah. he was building these entire songs with a looper and just a tuba. And it was... It was amazing, and I've, I've sadly I've lost track of Wolf. I'm gonna have to look him up after this. But I love it. That's great. It's pretty that's cool. Really you probably you probably dig it. To be honest with you, yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, man. So, nightmare scenario. On the other hand, when yeah. I listen to that, I hear so much of what I you know come to learn is a lot of your building blocks in your songwriting for Between the Barry to Me, and it's kind of like you know anytime I've had you know the pleasure of hearing Dusty just him messing around on any guitar he picks up like there's a certain element of him that i hear that my ear focuses in on when i listen to yeah like they're in the rhythm and then it's the same thing with your playing where and then by the time you add blake what he's doing in there and, and paul it's just like you know it's amazing it's it's there's so much going on um but nightmare scenario i'm really like oh okay this is this is dan right here this is his thing and then again and, to find out that you're you know I, I i thought that was you doing the vocals and then i'm like man this is awesome and it's like i could imagine um any variety of pieces of that being an elements of between the bear to me music um it's again yeah, kind of yeah for me it's it's uh it's funny because it's actually a a a breeding ground of like building songs actually in untraditional ways than I'm used to. And, and, and I know Tommy uses his solo projects in the same way. Um, I love all the different ways that I get to write music, whether it's on the free end of the spectrum with just a couple written things. Um, the like far end that is between the barrier to me, Nova collective that is like, um, so densely arranged, you know, beat by beat by beat, you know, counterpoints, everything charted out, you know, I, I love that. I love that. And Nightmare Scenario is somewhere different. It's a different, like, 
sub level somewhere um, where I really, really birth that stuff from experimentation. You know, it's really like, it's got a heaviness. It's got a heaviness to it that it kind of reminds me of like how I feel when I listen to like Steven Wilson records, a certain amount of his records um, where it's very, it's there's something going on there that's that's uh, uh, emotionally thought out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, yeah, for all, yeah, for anything, any of that stuff is is uh, you know, writing lyrics was was weird to me the first time I was doing it, and and I really just just kind of shut off and and started, you know, th- it's on a, you know, you you sing a melody like I got melodies you know and then you know a word just pops in your head and then just kind of stream of conscious going for it and that's how I've always operated I guess in the handful of years since I've been doing nightmare stuff but when I stand back you know I I see what it is and I'm just like oh Christ you know yeah that's going on inside (laughs) me you know it all comes from a you know a, a, a familiar and similar place and um it's nice. It's nice to get something off your chest. It's really interesting how by the time even, you know, you're done with a song or an EP album, whatever, you could be in a different place and feel a different way. Um, but it doesn't change that this thing was inside of you and that you worked through it, you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes I'm shocked at, at, you know, to me, sometimes I feel like the directness of, of what, what comes out. Um, uh, but you know, it's, it, you know, it serves its purpose, you know, for, for me. So. Yeah. It's, uh, like I said, it's, it's like something for every part of, uh, your creative spectrum, you know, between BTM to Triosscapes to, you know, Disorder, Nova Collective. I mean, it's just, it's like, uh, you can hear your thread through all of it, but everything's a little different and out there. Yeah. So actually right now I'm finishing, I, I, I I told you maybe before we recorded that I have a nightmare EP that's being mastered right now. And one that I'm finishing, um, kind of assembling parts from some other, people that I've, I've been singing off of singing with. Um, and the one that's getting mastered is interesting because I'm not going to say what it is yet, but, uh, it's none of my words. And it's, it's basically like, uh, I've described it as like a sci-fi folk album, but it's, uh, it's adaptations of, uh, of, of other words. And that was really interesting because I could shape, what the music was based off of, you know, the little couple lines or, or, or chunk of paragraph or whatever. And again, just a totally different weird way of working that I kind of never had before. Also, I was just really, really playing for years, a lot of, you know, finger style, uh, acoustic and plucking around. And then during the beginning of the pandemic, my mom asked, my mom's a classical guitarist. If I wanted her guitar that was built for her by a luthier in Pittsburgh, uh, before she started grad school. And I was just like, are you kidding me? You know, it was the guitar I 
was playing Nirvana on as a kid, you know, just grabbing and trying to play Penny Royalty or whatever. And, you know, I was like, I can't take your guitar, but she was getting, a, you know, she's retired. She's getting a nicer guitar. And so that was, that really pushed me over as far as being like, okay, I'm getting this nylon string. Now I'm writing a folk album or whatever, you know. It's uh, on. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's on. It's on. It's on. And it's, it's, it, it is very different. But yeah, the, I really love using whatever nightmare scenario is as a ground to really explore new concepts, new things. And I, um, you know, there's things that I learned from doing my EP a couple of years ago beyond what is real that um, I can see the effect of on the new Between the Buried Me record. You know, uh, it's it's always been like that. You know, if we go back to Great Misdirect, when we wrote that album, I was coming off writing the first record with my band Orbs. And I learned so much from our keyboardist, Ashley, and our interplay where we started, we wrote that album right as i was coming out of writing colors so i was like ah, just like creatively on like <laughs> 10 and just like oh my god we did all this new shit like i'm so excited what's next <laughs> and then i met this ideas. person who was this like brilliant classical pianist who um you know we were we were challenging each other in different ways where i was in such an expansive world and i was like we could take this small idea and write you know a 15 minute long song which we did <laughs> but she was very good at at honing in my energy whereas i was good at like expanding her and we met somewhere in the middle and i learned so much just from that collaboration of songwriting and um and definitely brought that energy into great misdirect and then you know everything kind of everything always builds on everything which is what i uh yep. i love so much about constantly playing with different people um and even if it's something a project that i'm doing myself just being in a different mindset writing in a different way hearing things differently that whenever you come back around and you're working you know on another orbs record another between the buried and me record whatever um, that you've gone through this journey in the couple years before, and uh, and there's there's always some something new you've learned that you're bringing in. Dan, how how cool is it to have that stream of consciousness come out and you be on fire creatively, but you meet that one person that can like bring you in, but also build you up. Like how yeah. that's that's awesome. That's it is awesome, awesome. and I've, I've, I've gotten it so many times over the last 16 years. I mean, meeting the guys and meeting like, you know, like like Paul, Paul and Blake, you know, and, and Tommy and Dusty, you know, but, but especially like there was something about the world that I was coming in where I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, where I was in band since I was 12, and I moved to North Carolina when I was 20, and it it was always hard. It was always hard to get the pieces just right, you know, where everyone synced up and everyone lined up and to be able to come down and all of a sudden, you know, feel like I could put something on paper and Paul and Dusty could play it better than I could, you know, on guitar. Like, oh my God, this is, it's finally happening. You know, it's finally happening. <laughs> and I could discuss like very direct, you know, kind of depth, rhythmic concepts with Blake and, and they could happen and then they would get better. Uh, that was, I was just like, okay, this is like, 
this is happening. This is a big step. Writing with Ashley was big. Um, when I started Triosscapes with Walter and Matt, it was like a whole nother level where, you know, I was feeding off this energy of Walter who was so into shreds, man. Yeah. The, the, the free, the energy and, you know, just, he was just like a ball of energy. You know, we'd show (laughs) up to, you know, we were playing like a record store or something. He would just be like, this is going to kick ass. This is going to be like the best show. And I'm like, you're right. This is going to be awesome. You know, when I saw you guys at that, at that barber, I had to look it up because I couldn't remember the name of the club. It's changed. I remember that. Yeah. It's changed names a bunch of times, but I remember it was a Thursday, and it was like you know, I don't know, fourteen people there. You know, there there was like not a whole lot of people when it started, but you guys just ripped, and I was like, yeah, there he is. There's his six foot tall ampeg rig or whatever. You know, like yeah, and, oh and, yeah. and and yeah. like seeing you guys, and then you know, years later when I'm loading into clubs like that down there, it's like God, yeah, this is what. I understand, you know, this is it's the bug that you get. And when you're passionate about the music and you're playing with people that energize you, yeah. there's no, you know, uh, and I always thought, you know, and I'm a drummer, obviously, I got the drums behind me here, but um, I always wanted to play saxophone, man. I always thought that was the coolest. Yeah. Like, I always just thought there was something so cool about well, somebody that can yeah. rip a saxophone. Does that- well, we're children of the 90s. Like, for me, I started on sax when I was, like, nine. My mom was a music teacher. And, you know, you turn on the TV, and the president played saxophone. You know, the Simpsons. Yeah, Hall, yeah. Right. You know, and you're like, yeah, that's the coolest looking thing. I need to play that. I don't know what it is. I don't know anything it's gold, about it. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, it's gold, you know? It's gold. Like, it's got the shades on. Right. It looks cool. I'm and then, like, like my yeah, mom was a, my mom is a big, like, she was a big Bruce Springsteen, the E Street band, you know? So, like, yeah. I'm always hearing Clarence, Clarence Thomas rip it, you know? And, and I, thankfully, oh, yeah. I got to see him with Bruce when he was still uh, alive. But That's uh, so cool. Yeah, it's like some people, when it's done at its best, uh, yeah. What's the kid's name? He goes by Saxel Rose on on Instagram. He's he played with. Um, That's a great name. Uh, what's the, uh, not Polini? Intervals. He was. I saw him doing a song with Intervals uh, at a at a show. That's so funny. A couple months. Yeah, ago. you know, and that was another big learning thing. I mean, I remember as soon as we were Walter and I were sharing some stuff together. Um, you know, he plays tenor sax tenor sax notes on the clef on the staff are different than a normal C instrument. He's a B flat instrument. So technically, you know, his, what is his, this is horrible for anyone listening. I'm sorry. Yeah. For the what audio is, only. What version. is his like middle C <laughs> is actually written as, uh, as a, a B flat, you know, it's a step off. So for me, I'm transposing from bass clef into, into, you know, treble and then into I'm going from there and transposing again. It was so much, but then also learning how a horn works and, you know, the kind of like the kind of way that you have to write sax lines almost more like linearly and not with like big skips like you would on the piano or on guitar, you know, the way you can move around uh, with intervals and stuff like to play you know, a low octave on a sax and then jump up, you know, and move with it is like, it's virtually impossible. You know, it's like so hard. <laughs> so Walter helped me really learn how to like write for those horns. And, uh, 
uh, that's helped a lot, honestly, over the years. Uh, even if it's just having people play on Voice of Trespass by Between the Barrier to Me or obviously doing the Disorder Assembly record, being able to communicate with the different horn players there. Um, yeah, you learn all these, all these random skills <laughs> over the years. I want to ask you about your your kind of connection with Blake, and you know, as a drummer with my my band Extractus, you know, shout out to Big Jim. You know, he's he's the best bassist. Uh, with all due respect to other bassists I've played with, I've played with some great musicians, but for me, he he's the he's the bassist I clicked with. Where even yeah. after we didn't play for four years recently, we were right there, and it's like it goes beyond that connection between bassist and drummer goes beyond. Uh, just the music usually like there's like a an, an an unspoken communication that's going on there. Not only you know on the stage, but just usually it, it for me in my experience it's it's kind of spilled over into into life. Um, what's that like for you with Blake? Do you do well, you experience any of that? live? So when when Triscape started, you know I'd already been. Blake and I had been in between the barrier to me at that point. We joined at the same time, like six or seven years, you know? And so I started Triscapes and we, we set up differently on stage where, you know, you saw us live. I, I was looking across at Walter. He's looking at me and then Matt's in our peripheral. And I just fell in love with that so much. Seeing the stage like that, not really playing off the crowd, playing off the energy of what's happening here. Uh, that I was just like, this is, this is it, you know? And so I started setting up like that for, for everything, you know, I'll play like that on Sunday with disorder assembly, you know? And, uh, and so it is, it's great because, you know, at a between the buried me show, you know, Blake is just right here for me. You know, I'm looking right across the stage. He's right there. All I got to do is look up, you know, and, and we'll see each other. And, uh, you know, if that's something like, you know, locking in and nailing apart, or if someone biffs apart, you know, between us, you know, we look at each other and there's like a E, you know, and, uh, and it's funny though, because it's like, probably no one heard it, you know, but it's just the two of us, you know, there's, just, there's at least three kids in the YouTube comments that heard it for sure. Exactly. 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 <laughs> but, but we're right there. And, and, uh, and that, that's, that's always so nice. And, and, and I, I, I love that. Uh, I think that that's, that's a cool thing for, for rhythm section to have their own little like pocket, yeah. you know, on the stage. The other guys are up at the front. They're doing their thing. We're back in the zone, uh, just laying it down. And, um, you know, the, the rhythmic quality in between the bear to me is, is interesting. Um, when we did, let's see, I think colors was probably the last record where as we were writing the guitar parts, you know, me and me and, Paul and Dusty and Tommy, whoever was was running the stuff, and we're we're tossing it all together, arranging the songs with all of us on guitars. Um, that I would then immediately be writing my bass parts. I stopped that on that album because so often Blake would come in and write a drum part, and it would almost have like completely different accents than I had on bass. And sometimes I'd go in and. And I'd change my accents and I'd play off of his thing, you know, because it would be a cool rhythmic phrase. Or, I, you know, if it was a part that I had just so densely written, I just I just found a way to hear it and lock every, lock in, hear where everything falls 
and just lock in. Um, now, from that point on, I really think, starting with Misdirect, I remember it distinctly with Parallax too, but probably maybe with Misdirect, um, writing all the songs on guitars like we were doing, letting Blake do his drum composition, and then coming in and doing bass on the tracks. Um, and so when that was when that happened, you know, from now, from that point to now, I can see the track how it is. I've digested it as, you know, a composer, and then I can come back as just the bassist, and I rehear the songs totally differently from my bass perspective. And a lot of uh, a lot of that ends up being playing off of these different rhythms and stuff. Uh, you know, I would almost call them counter rhythms. You know, that that uh, sometimes Blake has created. Sometimes we lock into a thing together uh, based off what's happening in Guitarland. Um, and that's I, I love that system. I think it's great. You know, because it's it really helps me just lock in from a writing stance as you know if i'm writing on guitar or keys whatever just worry about the structure of the song what it is and then come back afterwards as the bassist and just zoom in now that was stressful for our new record because this is a little spoil it's fucking long it's a goddamn <laughs> long album and so and it, it was it was written throughout such a long time that um and, and things kept subtly changing, subtle arrangement changes because it was such a long time um, that when it really got to the end, I was really just like, holy shit. Like, I was done. I was, like, spent <laughs> writing and hearing these songs. I was like... Need a cigarette. Damn, I got to write these face parts, you know what I mean? Like, and there was... You have to play this? In the studio. <laughs> Yeah, there was stuff in the studio that we were still hashing out, me and uh, Paul and, and, and Dusty, and uh, and bass parts that I was just getting under my fingers and and um, and re-sketching as they were tracking guitars. It was like right up to it. I mean, whew, it was a lot. So maybe sometimes that system isn't the best, but as far usually it's 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 nice and it's fun because. Um, you know, it, it, it allows me to hear just, just the rhythm section. And there's one song in particular on the new record, obviously, that doesn't make sense to talk about, but that I so locked in with Blake, and it's almost one of my favorite songs because I could play it with nothing else, just him. It would just be me and him playing off each other, and I wouldn't need anything else because I so specifically wrote it off the drums, uh, which sometimes is weird in reference to the guitars, but it's just like there's such a solid rhythm thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. When I hear it, cool. I'll, I'll think about this conversation. I'll go, ah, yeah, right. Ah, <laughs> that's what oh, he was talking about. Yeah, yeah. That's it right there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, dude, look, I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to hear it. When we had dusty on uh, a few months ago, he was saying, he, you know, kind of same kind of things that, you know, real excited about what it is and, and mm. everybody's going to be, you know, into it when it comes out. And, uh, Hopefully, I don't really give a shit if anyone likes it. Or not, but <laughs> That's the right attitude, like, brother. I know we just wrote, we just wrote our asses off for a bunch of months, and we're dead by the end of the year. We recorded right up to the holidays. I mean, we weren't really posting in the studio because 
there was just it just seemed like there was no fucking point. You know what I mean? Like, well, and also we didn't at that know time, when it would come out, you know, right? And um, we were in the studio until maybe the twenty first of December. So like, I remember just you know crawling into my cave and being like i'm done i'm done you know for the year into the new year it really took me a while to like regenerate and kind of come back to life well it was cool seeing you guys in the basement you know like i I saw a couple you know posts here and there and you know again you know you saying you're down there the 21st of december i think that was the day we started doing our record we were down there over christmas and we got to we we got to sample uh winston salem's finest chinese buffet on christmas day it was was awesome oh yeah yeah by the the movie theater yeah it was a good time um but uh jamie works so much that's crazy he's the man he's been on the show he was one of our first guests and uh shout out to jamie king he's he is the man He's he's a he's got a great great. Uh, you just want to be around him, and, and you he makes you want to f- try things, and you know he's just oh, yeah. encouraging, like shit, yeah, man, let's do it. You're like, all right, give me the it's, fucking it's, gong, it's, let's it's go. Such a, it's such a special skill set that um, an engineer producer has to have. Because yep. my my buddy Chris, who did the Disorder record here, is the same way. With him and Jamie, it's just like you can put them in a room with someone stranger, you know, and they're going to like get on with them. You know, that's such a, a special like, and not get frustrated. To have, you know, yeah. it's crazy. Well, it's, it's, it's to have somebody like that, that can pull out the gyms too. They got to be open and gyms oh, yeah. open. Like, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Now. <laughs> it's so, so true. As long as it's harmonized, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you're in the studio, you might as well just try whatever. If it sucks, you just have to delete it. Yeah, it's not it. like you're you know paying I mean? for tape. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, oh shit, yeah. I think about that a lot with film. I've got, a, actually tonight I've got a film, my film club that I've been doing for over a year, but with, with my friend, and it's, it's been so nice during the pandemic because he's in Austin and we do it afar. Um, talk beforehand, talk afterwards, big, like, um you know, reading into it, just, just, it's just like, I love having talks that are about music, but usually in the other arts, you know, I love talking about film. I love talking about actual like art, like paintings, collage, whatever. Um, and it, it just fuels me. It gets me so excited, you know, and, and creatively like turned on, ready to go. Just, just talking about an art form, dissecting something, you know, it's like um, me and Daryl breaking down Steven Seagal fight sequences. It just gets me. Yeah, it gets, oh, you wow. it gets, it gets yeah. me jazzed up. Yeah. I, I really That's like to great, analyze yeah. the, you know, the finer detail. Um, I love it. What kind of films in your film club? Like what, what we kind of just, stuff? well, we just did, we did a full film review of Paul Thomas Anderson recently. And, and my buddy had actually seen none and he's a director himself. So it was kind of like, he kind of sheepishly was like, I know I need to see these. And so that was everything from Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, all the way through, you know, Phantom Thread. And actually, we finished with the the short film he did for Tom York, the the uh, Anima or whatever, um, which was really cool, really really cool piece uh, that he did. It had really interesting choreography, um, some just like oh killer surreal looks to it. Um, yeah, so that was that was the last big piece that we did, um, 
and we got uh we got some other stuff charted out that, that we're going to be venturing into you know so we're, we're trying to prep for the new for the the dune movie to come out so you're a dune fan me, huge dune fan i got, you know um, it's funny my older brother is a huge dune fan right here and yeah. i i got into it Again, child of the '90s, the sci-fi yeah. miniseries. Daryl, did you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that, <laughs> yeah. Daryl? Yeah, yeah. I'm fucking pumped for this for this movie to come out, and I know yeah, they keep so, pushing it back, but I'm I'm there for it, dude. Yeah, October first, it's happening. Um, yeah, for for us, we wanted to watch a lot of uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, films that that we hadn't seen, and I had some blind spots, and he had less. But so um, there's a couple that we're gonna try to watch to get. Get the vibe of really. I feel like I'm sure the Blade Runner move. The Blade Runner, knowing that the guy that did Blade Runner 2049 was doing Dune, you know, excited me the most because there's such a meditative, slow, sunken in feel. Pace. Yeah, yeah, and you need you read that. But in it's the text deliberate though. Well, it's know, deliberate, and in, in, in for just to heighten that creative aspect to it. You know what yeah. I mean? It really pulls you into that world. You need it that, does. You know? Yeah. It's like what was the what's the name of the guy that did uh, he did Drive with Ryan Goss uh, Ryan Gosling yeah, and then uh, also Nicholas Winding Refn yeah. uh, Only God Forgives you know like those yeah. like that yeah. oh, pff, listen a- anybody listening to this podcast that's here for between better stop what you're doing go check out Only God Forgives <laughs> what a fucking film like yeah so much going on there and you're like is this dude banging his mom what, what, did he just like, yeah spoiler alert what's going on here I don't know yeah. It's I love um, I love Neon Demon too. He's, I haven't that, seen that, that. that. Oh, you should. That that's the last proper film he did. Uh, he did a TV show for Amazon called Too Old to Die Young. It didn't get a lot of press, but it is like him on ten as far as like pace. Like the the each shot is so gorgeous. Obviously, lots of neon lights. That's his thing. Well, I feel like Drive um, changed heavily, influenced everything now to the point oh, where. Yeah. Every film or TV show has that shot of somebody standing there with an LED reflecting off half yeah. of their face. Like that's you know he, that was like the first time I saw that on film. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. What do you think about Mandy? Have you seen that Nicholas Cage? It's that's one of my favorite films of the last fucking forever. It's so creative. It's, I love. I think it's genius. I love it. Yeah, I love his first film too, uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is just totally out of control it's um i've never done drugs but i i just have to imagine that that guy's captured what lsd is like i i can only imagine there's something about mandy that like the first time i saw that it stuck with me you know like it's just like oh, I, yeah. I felt like i was wearing it and yeah and daryl and i we love nick i love nicholas cage <laughs> to my core he's oh, like he too. is legitimately pig? pig i'm so excited about pig dude holy shit I, he's he is legitimately my favorite actor and i've i've seen damn near every one of his films and uh, back in the day when you when, when i was sick you with netflix with the discs you could you know build up your queue and somebody yeah. made a like a chrome extension called uh cage flicks and it just automatically added every one of his movies. So I just ran through them, you know, starting with Raising Arizona. And um, yeah. he's just so – he has, like, two speeds, which is, like, completely over the top in a awkward way and then, like, completely over the top in the most perfect way. Like, some movies yeah. you think are, like – like, what was that? A Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, like that Bad Lieutenant right. remake. 
It's like, is he the only one that was taking this thing serious? Like, it's it's yeah. an incredible performance. And then everybody else is yeah. like, you know, and then you see, you know, uh, there was one where he goes, I don't know what it's called, like bad parents or something where the, the parents go mad know. and they try to kill their kids. Yeah. It's, it's you know. I, uh... Yeah, and then you have something like adaptation that is just right. more more in like the awkward humor, but like brilliant like method deep in there. Like, yeah, he's real deal. He is the realist, and I think he's doing a show for Showtime based on the Tiger King, where he You're plays right. where he plays yeah. Joe Exotic, which is going to be again. Oh my god! Yeah, it just like have and you it's, seen um have you seen Wally World yet? No, I it's on my to do list. That. that looks good. It's yeah. like Five Nights at Freddy's seen... kind of thing. I, I think like a basically a critters. He's like a, a maintenance guy at a Chuck E. Cheese type yeah. location, and then right, the, right, right, yeah, yeah. The, the animatronics come to get him. Oh, I can't wait! Yeah, yeah I haven't seen it. Perfect premise. Did you see uh, uh, what was it? Colors out of space. Yeah, great. That was what one did of the you last think of oh. that? That uh, talk about a movie that affected me and Daryl. We were like, "Oh my god, the fuck did I just watch?" Like you know, like that was, woo, woo. That was one of the last ones I saw in the theater uh, before the pandemic. Uh, it was it was great. Yeah, that must have been an experience in the theater on a big screen. It was. Yeah, I saw it. At, there, there's an Alamo Draft House in um, oh, in nice. Raleigh, so like like a little over an hour away. And I actually went last the, the other day. I went for the first time back. I saw the new Sparks Brothers documentary which was incredible about the band sparks um and that was a lot of fun it was great to be back in the theater and especially that theater which is so cool well i think you got the matrix coming out in theaters you know in december uh, yeah i don't want to know my, a little bit leaked out about that uh, you know who knows if it's, i don't know anything yeah yeah it's no, so well you know spoil it's not a spoiler but basically the the premise is uh, Trinity goes back into the Matrix, and she's like living her life with like a family in the Matrix, and then Neo just somehow comes back, and it's like a redo of the Matrix, Weird. where he's like the Morpheus, like wake you up, like, and he's trying oh, to yeah. trying to get her back, mm. and it sounds pretty interesting. And Neil Patrick I, uh, Harris is I in remember it, so, so be good. little of the the third one. I remember so little of. So. Don't don't uh, don't. Don't go back to it. It's. Mm. Uh, I remember they were. They got pretty convoluted. I remember. Yeah. They yeah, did. I feel like they. Yeah. I don't know. They, they, I think they succumbed to, you know, network pressure or whatever. From uh, that was the the explanation was that you know the the studio made them change things and uh, oh. it doesn't really hold. The second and third one don't really hold up as good as the first one. That's too bad. Yeah. I have that uh, that that was like 15th anniversary Blu-ray or whatever that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't know we would have so much in common with uh, avant-garde films, Dan. This is yeah. uh, this is a great conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a little uh, yeah, the color out of space, boy. Talk about a sticky situation. Um, that was the last film that that director Richard Stanley did since The Island of Dr. Morneau in the 90s, which he was actually same guy? booted from. Yeah. yeah, didn't he get he kicked out for boot- some reason? He was, like, booted from it. Yeah, I, I I don't remember if it was something to do with Brando or if Brando fought for him, but whatever it was, I think he was so marred by the studio experience that he was just out, and this movie brought him back, like, so many years later. I mean, well, that's at a, least. It's a Lovecraft, right? Yeah. 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 Oof. Yeah, that's uh, disturbing. But yeah, Mandy, and that's a one that some people either think it's 
you know, like us, the greatest things in sliced bread or, you yeah. know, dog shit. And I, I don't quite, I don't quite, uh, I thought it was so creative. Uh, it's one of his finest freakouts in any film. That scene when he is in the uh, bathroom and he's drinking and he's just screaming like that's art. Yeah. Yeah. But the music's so beautiful under oh. it. That's score, yeah. Johan Johansson. Oh my God. Well, if you, yeah. if you talk about the cinematography, so many chances were taken and it's beautiful in a way. You know it what I mean? Is. Tragically yeah. beautiful, but it, in a way that like it, it has. And brother Jay, I know you agree. It it has that lasting f- impression on you. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Oof. Oh, the way the, the way he blew out some of those colors. Yeah. You know, oh red. my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. But then there's that great scene of them on the lake. You know where where it's it's like this overhead shot and the ripples in the water. Are oh yeah. Perfectly yep. like yep. spaced out. Oh man. You can yeah. tell they took their time to uh, you know perfectly. Like and every single shot is, you know they they built that cabin. Did they really? Yeah, yeah. It makes sense if you look at it. I mean, the the structure of it looks so like that it was made with like that makes you sense. Know, door doors and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's it, it's incredible. It's so cool, and it's just one of those ones that flies under the radar. And you know, I got the, my my wonderful fiance supports my Nicolas Cage habit. She got me that on Blu-ray. It was, uh, it was great. Good. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta try and talk her into this Wally world one. Uh, that'll, that'll be tough. I'll have to, I'll have to sneak that in somewhere. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's an action comedy, but, uh, Dan, what, what is, you know, what is the best way to keep up with you? You know, as we, as we wind down here, um, you've got yeah. so much stuff going on. What's the best way for everybody to get all that is Dan Briggs. Yeah. I struggle with like self promotion in a way. I, I, uh, but I guess, I guess, you know, Instagram is the best Dan Briggs music. Um, you know, I, it's, it's so much to keep up with, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to (laughs) stay afloat on there. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's the spot. That's the spot, I guess. That's the spot. And you've got disorder assembly debuting live this weekend. Where are you guys playing? So, you know, um, we're playing an event on Sunday downtown in Greensboro. It's outdoors in the park, Greensboro, North Carolina, um, to commemorate one of the drummers, actually, on the record, um, Scott Johnson. He passed away in January. And so it's a um, – the show is a celebration of Scott's musical playing through a bunch of groups that he was uh, in or associated with. Um, disorders closing out the night. Um, as far as the guys were concerned, they thought that was the only professionally recorded uh, capture of, of Scott, um, mm. which is incredible. Uh, he's just like a totally gifted drummer, percussionist, African percussionist. He made his own percussion toys, all sorts of stuff. And I only met him on the first day in the studio with Disorder. And so... You know, I, I was living for months with his playing, these takes, you know, getting it mixed, this and that, just being like, what, you know, incredible. And um, and so the show is, you know, th- it's tied in with a group in Greensboro called GC Stop. That's Guilford County where we live, uh, solution to the, the opioid problem or whatever. Um, and they're, you know, we've been raising money you know, for overdose prevention education uh, that that's all through this organization and these guys. And they've raised almost 10 grand, which is incredible. Wow. That's so, great, man. 
That's so great. we'll have, you know, it's a heavy day, like a first show back, first show with a new band, um, playing really in honor of, you know, someone that's not there. Um, but really like, see, I saw some of the guys yesterday, you know, and it was just, it was all good vibes, you know, and, and everyone's, uh, just excited to be able to play music with each other. And, um, I think it's a, it's the first time that I think a lot of people in Greensboro are going to be getting out, um, to really like celebrate kind of being back and, and seeing live music. So we're, it's going to be, it's going to be a good exciting positive thing you know that's great man that's a that sounds like an excellent excellent evening of music and uh you know you know final question for you man what's what can people expect uh at a bt bam in the coming months here um anything yeah uh, if we survive this uh double set two and a half hour (laughs) insanity that we're going on for like six and a half seven weeks then you can do it dan you can do it i know (laughs) um no uh we, I, I know, I know at least, I mean, it's not a spoil, but th- that's all we're doing for the year. We're, we're doing that gig. And then, um, you know, there's plans to just, you know, get it in, in movement, you know, getting um, hopefully to other places in the world. I mean, obviously not everywhere is where, um, where we are. Um, we're very thankful. Um, you know, you might've seen, we had to cancel our Can- Canadian dates. Um, right. It's like there's a chance that they'd be, you know, fully open 100% by then, but that it was it was too risky from the promoters for us. Like, if if it got to like the week before and there, it still wasn't able to happen, that would have left us with four or five days just stranded, sitting around, you know, yeah, in America, just losing money. That would have been terrible so we rebooked those shows with some american shows and um you know it it stinks but you know like the place like montreal toronto vancouver you know there's some of our favorite places to go and toronto's probably our best market in the whole world so um obviously we're going to try to do something uh in the new year up there um and hopefully we can get to europe hopefully we you know when the pandemic started, I mean, we were in South America for the first time. Right. And so that was cool to check off, but it was a fucking weird time to be out yeah. of the country. And yeah. uh, we were in Chile, Santiago, the night that the NBA shut down. I was watching mm. the game. Um, we had a day off. I was watching the game. I had all these vegan empanadas. I had a feast. I was so excited. And I'm then... you hungry, Dan. Yeah, and I know, I know. It's always dinner time for me, too. And then it got shut down. I was watching that game. I watched Cuban, Mark Cuban, see it on his phone and tell the other players. I was just like, oh, my God, what is happening? And we were supposed to go to Buenos Aires. Two days later, they closed their borders. So we were just like, oh, my God, we got to get home. What is going on? So it'd be nice to get back down there under, you know, a little bit more normal, you know, circumstances. So, yeah, it's really, obviously, it's dependent on where the world is in 2022 but um at least for this year we get to do this tour we'll have some new music and i'll be releasing i want both of the things nightmare scenario i want to get out by the end of the year because i need to start next year totally clean you got to start with a fresh slate man that's that's the way to do it Mm -hmm. fresh slate so yeah 
Yeah, that's absolutely. awesome. Man. Well, Dan, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. And uh, I'll tell you what, when pig comes out, we'll have to have you back on and, oh, yeah. and we'll do a deep, yeah. we'll do a deep dive into, uh, we'll only talk about, we'll do a movie review. We'll only talk about, uh, you know, Nick Cage's finest work. So absolutely. Um, I love it. Yeah. We can do a top 10 or something. Oh, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> Dan Briggs, my man, be safe. And uh, we'll see you down the road in a few weeks, brother. Thanks guys. Good jam. <laughs> <laughs>